This is episode 151 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, The Female Man and a Gender-Specific Plague. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show. And thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I've been curious to look at books about pandemics that have an agenda, like Zoop, for some highly explained reason, this disease wipes out all men, for example. And by the way, it's usually the men who get wiped out in case you were considering your own risk profile. So that brings us to today's book, uh, which is called The Female Man by Joanna Ross, And just a quick note about how I choose books that I do. I try to choose pretty famous and well-known books. Uh, In this case, Female Man was nominated for a Nebula Award and won a Gay Lactic, yes, that is pronounced correctly, Gay Lactic Spectrum Hall of Fame Award. Uh, Ross's short story, When It Changed, won a Nebula Award, and that story is set in a female-only utopian world, which is portrayed in The Female Man. And the story is actually included in the book. But The Female Man is considered one of the most influential works in uh, feminist uh, science fiction or even feminist literature. And here we arrive at one of the things I look uh, at for my podcast, and that is the likelihood that you're ever going to read the book, because I sometimes want to save you the trouble Uh, It would be great to discover that one of my listeners uh, was able to speak intelligently about one of the books that I covered and impress somebody with your knowledge without actually having to struggle through the whole thing. And this one might be one you want to know about, but not have to actually read. So let's dig in and, and find out. Uh, So The Female Man is a feminist science fiction novel. It was published in 1975 by Joanna Ross, and she's described as a radical feminist. I won't talk a whole lot about her life, uh, but a bit here at the beginning. She's a New Yorker. She was a writer her whole life, especially of science fiction and feminist literary criticism. The Female Man is probably her most famous work, but she's also known Uh, for some other works, in particular, How to Suppress Women's Writing, another conspiracy about how women writers are put down. She graduated from Cornell, where she studied with Vladimir Nabokov. So maybe that is something that would guarantee to turn you into a feminist. Mm. Maybe I should have kept that to myself. Anyway, uh, she got her MFA from the Yale Drama School and became a professor at the University of Washington. She died in 2011, but is still widely studied in courses that cover science fiction and feminism. I guess they're out there. She herself produced a large amount of material on science fiction, gender, feminism, and sexuality. 
Female Man is her best-known work, but she also won or was nominated for uh, Hugo, Nebula, Tip Tree Awards, and other awards for her short stories and essays. Uh, she wrote quite a bit about pornography, which she uh, saw to be the essence of evil in society and called it a monolithic, easily recognizable, unique evil essence, and at the same time, commercially available, explicit sexual fantasy. We should probably talk here about generally how pissed off she was. She wrote a lot of criticism, uh, covered over a hundred books. Uh, she's been described as fearless, incisive, and a radical person whose writing was sometimes characterized as acerbic and angry. Uh, she criticized female writers as harshly as male writers for what she felt were gender stereotypes. She seems to have been quite conflicted about criticism, uh, saying on one hand that in one case she felt she had gone too far, and she said it's nasty to beat up on authors who are probably starving to death on turnip soup, but critics ought to be honest. She also strikes me as kind of surprisingly defensive about criticism after she'd gotten some reader backlash about some of her criticism, uh, she organized their complaints into categories. And I'll give you a few examples here. Don't shove your politics into reviews, just review the books. And her response was, I will when authors keep politics out of their books. Another complaint was, you don't prove what you say, you just assert it. And she uh, retorted, there's no way to prove anything in aesthetic or moral matters. Another one is, everyone's entitled to his own opinion. And she uh, retorted, writing is a craft too, and it can be judged. And some opinions are worth a great deal more than others. Uh, another one here, you're vitriolic too. And her response was, the only way to relieve yourself of the pain that has to be endured by reading every line is to express one's opinions vividly, precisely, and compactly. And i just like to point out how stupid she makes these critics sound because, uh, in my opinion, it's much easier to respond to stupid criticisms than real criticisms. Okay, not only that, dear listener, but she actually inserted a bunch of blurbs of anticipated criticism into the female man. So in the text of the female man, she has inserted all these uh, kind of anticipated uh, shorthand comments that she thinks will meet the book once it is released. She's included here. Uh, some of them, quote, We would gladly have listened to her, they said, if only she had spoken like a lady. But they are liars, and the truth is not in them. And this actually goes on for a long time here. I'll try and spare you too much of it. Shrill, vituperative, no concern for the future of society, selfish femme lib, needs a good lay, a shapeless book. Of course, a calm and objective discussion is beyond dot, dot, dot twisted, neurotic, some truth buried in a largely hysterical, of limited interest, another tract for the trash can, burned her bra and thought that, no characterization, no plot, really important issues are neglected while, women's limited experience, another of the screaming sisterhood, a not very appealing aggressiveness, deflowering the pretentious male, 
A man would have given his right arm to hardly girlish, a woman's book, another shrill polemic which the a mere male like myself can hardly, a brilliant but basically confused study of feminine hysteria, feminine lack of objectivity, this pretense at a novel, trying to shock, the tired tricks of the anti-novelists. How often must a poor critic have to the usual boring obligatory references to lesbianism, denial of the profound sexual polarity which an all-too-womanly refusal to face facts, pseudo-masculine brusqueness, the ladies' magazine level, trivial topics like housework and the predictable screams of unfortunately sexless in its outlook drivel, violently waspish attack, Formidable self-pity. Okay, so you get the idea. Okay, so this goes on and on and on and on and on. I do think it's kind of weird to think of anticipating criticism while you are writing the book and then inserting it into your text. We all have our inner critics when we're writing, uh, but I don't think we make our critics out to be idiots, right? I think we actually try and attribute a real intelligence and real, a real sleuthing out of the weakness of your writing to our inner critics. Otherwise, it seems both distracting and also kind of incredibly self-serving, like, oh, here's what they would say, and how stupid does that sound? Is this supposed to convince the reader that somehow that's how you head off any criticism of the book, like they only didn't like it because they're sexist? Is that like a way of disarming the critics ahead of time? And if it also strikes you as kind of hard to work this into a book, like where would this fit in, this may actually help us get to actually talking about the book. Because the book is written in a way that is extremely hard to follow, and some people actually called it a screed. It is kind of a stream of consciousness, but perspectives kind of hop around, and it's hard to tell who is talking at any one time. Some characters are presented only in the third person, and some switch around, like from first person to third person or even uh, second person. I'm grateful to Christine Corbett Moran, who analyzed the book on Medium.com, and she described it this way. Uh, subsections vary in topic, focusing on the protagonist, the author, or even personifying the book itself. They vary from dialogue in the form of a play to italicized stream of consciousness, to straightforward storytelling, to metafiction. Most jarring, the subsections vary in point of view, changing rapidly from first person, second person omniscient, third person limited. Often a protagonist narrates a scene involving another protagonist from the perspective of a disembodied entity that can move to any perspective within the scene. Hmm. Rarely the point of view changes from one protagonist to another midsection without overt clues to the reader. Doesn't that sound like fun? Many casual critics on Amazon said that they couldn't finish the book. Uh, even those who it had been assigned to for example, to read it for their book clubs, which another topic is, isn't it crazy how many well-known books get assigned in book clubs and the members end up hating the books? I think there's something to be said about that for books that become uh, highly acclaimed, but that's a topic for another day. 
Okay, let's start with the cover of this, uh, quote, feminist science fiction book. Publishers always get the last laugh with the cover, and in this case, it features a tall, buxom, red-haired woman who has this insanely long uh, hair that's rising up and kind of circling around her body like a giant aura. Uh, She has one boob hanging out, and she appears to be struggling to put on, I presume it's put on, maybe it's take off, put on the skin suit that actually leaves nothing to the imagination anyway. The tagline of the book is a startling new science fiction novel by Joanna Ross, and there's another uh, little introduction on the front that says, Across the boundaries of alternate worlds, beyond all sexual barriers, come the only kind of man there is, the female man. Okay, here's the plot, such as it is. It's been interesting to review some of these dystopian books and see how spare or non-existent the plot is. Like sometimes they're just an exploration of a world after almost everyone is dead. The Stand and Eyes of Darkness and even The Mask of the Red Death, even though that one was very short, have fully developed plots where things accelerate toward a climax. Earth Abides, not so much, and The Scarlet Plague actually had any plot at all. They seem to get caught up in this, hey, how cool is this thing that I thought up, and forget about the plot. The Female Man takes place in four worlds, and I'll try to keep this simple, but bear with me because it is confusing. And then imagine a poor reader trying to sort this out as they go along with these uh, characters from these different worlds. So there are four worlds in four different times, each one inhabited by a woman whose name starts with J. Thanks for that, Joanna. Maybe I should be thankful that they weren't all named Joanna. And one is, in fact, named Joanna. She lives in a world similar to the Earth in the 1970s, and she's trying to assert herself as equal to a man and refers to herself as the female man. Then there's Janine with three N's, Thanks for that also. She's a librarian, and she lives in a world where the Great Depression never ended. World War II never happened because Hitler was assassinated. She lives a kind of repressed life with really strong gender roles and thinks a man, only a man, can bring her happiness and validation. And she's engaged to a guy who's kind of a dork. Then things get interesting. The character Janet comes from while away, a far future world, uh, female only, utopian, because men were all wiped out by this gender-specific plague 800 years beforehand. And of course, since it's science fiction, the women who are all lesbians, because of course they are, procreate by merging their ova and then using parthenogenesis to grow an embryo. Actually, at the end of the book, it's hinted that the men were actually killed. Now, Janet has been chosen to be an interdimensional explorer because she's considered expendable in her so-called utopia. Anyway, once she appears, the different Jays get to travel around to these different worlds and see uh, what's happening between men and women in these different places. And the women hang out for a while in While Away, Uh, But I guess they get bored because then they go back to the Great Depression world to hang out and meet people. And then suddenly, blam, they're in jail's world. Jail? Good name, right? 
Her world is this dystopian where men and women are literally in a battle against each other, the battle of the sexes, and they live apart from each other. They've been in conflict for 40 years, uh, but they still trade with each other. So the women trade children in exchange for resources. Not sure where they get the children, but, you know, in books like this, things like that can get sorted out pretty quickly. Just usually takes a paragraph or two. The men, in order to deal with their sexual desires, force young boys to undergo cosmetic surgery so that they look like women, because you know how men are. The women are not all lesbians in this world, uh, so Jael has a genetically modified ape that she keeps at her house to have sex with. You know, it just struck me that in that world, maybe men and women could kind of work that out, you know, but that's just me. Instead, Jael suggests to Janet, the while-away woman, that what happened in her world uh, is that the women won the war and killed off all the men. And so that's what brought us to while-away, this female-only, quote, utopian. So note to self, uh, in case I'm ever in that situation, I might think through killing off all the guys because you might regret that in the future. Anyway, so now the full plan is revealed by Jail. She's brought all these women together because she wants to put essentially military bases in all their worlds to overthrow the oppressive men. Uh, she also reveals herself here to be a ruthless assassin. Uh, she takes the women to negotiate with an enemy male leader uh, who shows promise at first by promoting gender equality, but then somehow he slips up and insults the women. And so Jill kills him. So watch out, guys. Careful about showing your bias. The book concludes with the women pretty much disagreeing about how to incorporate parts of their worlds into each other. So they each go back to their own world alone. Uh, though I guess you would say they've all learned something. Okay, let's start with the positive. A lot of readers commented that Parts of the book still seemed very relevant, and they would write comments in the margins uh, commenting about how contemporary it all seemed, even though at this point it's 45 years ago. Can you imagine? Yikes, 45 years. I'll read you an excerpt uh, that a lot of people relate to. It's uh, often quoted from this book. This is the underside of my world. Of course you don't want me to be stupid, bless you. You only want to make sure you're intelligent. You don't want me to commit suicide. You only want me to be gratefully aware of my dependency. You don't want me to despise myself. You only want the flattering deference to you that you consider a spontaneous tribute to your natural qualities. You don't want me to lose my soul. You only want what everybody wants, things to go your way. You want a devoted helpmeet, a self-sacrificing mother, a hot chick, a darling daughter, women to look at, women to laugh at, women to come for comfort, women to wash your floors and buy your groceries and cook your food and keep your children out of your hair, to work when you need the money and stay home when you don't, women to be enemies when you want a good fight, women who are sexy when you want a good lay, women who don't complain, women who don't nag or push, women who don't hate you really, women who know their job, and above all, women who lose. On top of it all, you sincerely require me to be happy. 
You are naively puzzled that I should be wretched and so full of venom in this the best of all possible worlds. Whatever can be the matter with me, but the mode is more than a little outworn. As my mother once said, the boys throw stones at the frogs in jest, but the frogs die in earnest. All right, now on the critical side, uh, because this is feminism, we can't all get along. So the book has been charged, uh, as did the author, with being transphobic, uh, something to do with the young men who are forced to undergo surgery. Uh, one contemporary blogger, Britt Mandello, who describes herself as a multi-fandom geek, uh, wrote that she was uh, very uncomfortable with this part of the narrative, uh, she said, it's, yes, it's a scathing critique of patriarchy and what men see in slash use women for what they hide in themselves. The m- young men are forced to take the operations after all. It has nothing to do with choice. However, wow, can I see where that treads very, very close to transphobic territory. And then she says, It doesn't help that the attitude of second-wave feminism towards trans women was negative at best, violently hostile at worst. It doesn't make me terribly inclined to give the benefit of the doubt. Okay, so uh, there's a criticism of the book from today's perspective. And then my hero here, Althea Ann, she's a Goodreads reviewer who wrote a long analysis of the book in 2010. Uh, She's very critical of the book, which I probably wouldn't be quite as harsh as she is, uh, but she does really make some excellent points. She's a librarian, so she was especially ticked off that the subservient Janine is presented as a cliché of a librarian. And she first explains that when she started reading it, she remembered that she'd actually started before to read it and gave up because she said it was so bad. Uh, So she writes, seriously, stuff like this is why I don't call myself a feminist. I just don't want to be associated with it. It wasn't empowering. It was stereotyped and cliched and depressing. Not depressing because of women's place in the world. Depressing because the author comes through as a sad, lonely, bitter, nasty person, full of resentment and hate for everyone. I consider myself to be a strong, independent woman who at least tries to love life and embrace happiness. And according to this type of woman, that's not feminist. Uh, On top of that, it wasn't even well-written. It's scattered, awkward, without any coherent plot. It's just badly thought out, more like random thoughts and polemic jottings than an actual novel. I guess one would call this a postmodern style if one wanted to dignify it. Uh, She goes on to talk about... The plot and the characters, uh, then her description of While Away. Uh, She says, Janet comes from While Away, an all-female world. Men died in a plague 900 years ago. This seems to be Russ's idea of utopia, sort of. It's awful. It's also kind of weird. The women of While Away are kind of stocky, have big butts, and wear pajamas all the time. No makeup, of course. They're really smart and technologically advanced. They live in group families but travel separately all the time and don't form long-lasting intimate bonds usually. They have sex, but it's a stress-free, unromantic kind of sex. She says there is a funny scene describing a dildo when a young woman from, quote, our world finds one on Janet's bed. And then she says, okay, that's the best part of the book. 
Uh, She says the women work very few hours, but because they're intelligent and therefore not suited to work, question mark, exclamation point, they think they work all the time. Actually, as a side note, I do wonder if that is part of our contemporary world. Anyway, they're always changing jobs and being sent to different places without any say-so. The death penalty is in effect for those who try to avoid these duties. And then she says, all these people's lives seem to be completely devoid of fun. She goes on a rant then about how she thinks Ross doesn't understand intimate relationships at all. And she might actually have a point. Ross never married, didn't have any children, and didn't come out as a lesbian until she was in her 60s. Althea Ann is especially critical of Ross's position that everything difficult in a woman's life is men's fault. Because life is hard, she's decided that the reason is men. When she fails to find common ground with other women, she says that's because those women have been subverted by men and male-dominated society. I do have to say, again, as an aside here, that that is a legitimate problem with some of the rhetoric that we're seeing lately about oppression. And that is that you can't claim that you're not oppressed because that's just a sign that you've been taken in by the oppressor. And I guess it's no surprise uh, since critical race theory has roots in feminism. So uh, this goes back a ways, but this uh, kind of argumentation is definitely problematic. Anyway, Althea says, I disagree strongly. I don't think that fundamentally women are any different than men. I don't think that a woman-only society would be war-free or homogenous. Moreover, I don't want that kind of homogenous society on any level. Uh, She goes on to say, yes, people have disagreements. Women are not all the same. Life can be hard. Uh, But it's not necessarily sexism. She says, I'm not saying that sexism doesn't exist or that it doesn't need to be addressed, but the real problems of sexism are not addressed here at all. She says, I guess a surprising part of this book to me was the hatred of other women. I expected the man-hating, but there's just so much vitriol here directed toward women. It's like Ross is so unhappy that she deeply resents any woman who seems happy with her life. She feels that individual success or empowerment or what society considers to be femininity are mutual incompatible. It's actually a bit enlightening to see this perspective, but I just wanted to yell, no, you're just wrong. You don't understand people at so many points during this book. (laughs) And I uh, was amused, she said, that when she got to the pages of the critical blurbs, the ones that I read before, she said she uh, had to chuckle because she totally agreed with about 70% of it. And then there's also much shorter criticism from Corliss, who is a purchaser on Amazon, and he, I'm assuming it said he, could be a woman, described it as terrible, sad, bitter, lame, talentless, garbage, waste of paper, time wasted, anger-ridden, pathetic, jumbled, poorly written, trash, unforgivable nonsense. Given how critical we've been to the book today, I'm going to give Ross the last word, and in fact, this is the closing passage of the book. It's addressed uh, to the book itself. Do not complain when at last you become quaint and old-fashioned, when you grow as outworn as the crinolines or a generation ago and are classed with spicy Western stories, Elsie Dismore and the Son of the Sheik. 
Do not mutter angrily to yourself when young persons read you to perooch and harch and guffaw, wondering what the dickens you were all about. Do not get glum when you are no longer understood, little book. Do not curse your fate. Do not reach up from readers' laps and punch the readers' noses. Rejoice, little book, for on that day we will be free. Thanks for listening, everybody. Well, the pandemic isn't really over, but it seems as though we've moved into a different phase where our lives have a bit more normalcy. As a result, we're adjusting the format of the show back to fewer, more lengthy episodes airing on Tuesday and Friday and sometimes on Sunday, since those Sunday literary episodes have been very popular. Speaking of which, our downloads have exploded during the pandemic, so thank you for your patronage. If you like what we do, you can support the show through our Patreon page. Another way to support us, which doesn't cost anything, is to follow us or like us on Podomatic.com, and that will help us increase our visibility. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a comment about who you are, what you like, or if you have a comment about the show. And finally, I also run a professional training company for people who want to advance in their careers with courses on communication skills, executive presence, and accent reduction. You can find out more at discreteguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-G-U-I-D-E. Please take care and let's talk again soon.